Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is Trish Higgins, the partner at Shenmark. Trish, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. And uh, yeah, let us know a little bit more about, about your story, Trish, to, to start. Sure. So um, I guess most importantly, I'm Canadian, even though I live in the U.S. now. Ah. Uh, I like to start, make sure that's the laying the groundwork. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, um, I started Chenmark in uh, 2015 with my husband and brother-in-law um, as a family. And uh, we all had a more traditional finance background um, before we started. So, um, but not really in private equity or investment banking or anything to do with analyzing uh, companies. Right. We were more uh, on the market space and uh, doing analysis um, for uh, you know investments and stuff like that. So uh, we sort of collectively all um, when we were, I guess in our mid twenties, just sort of felt like we wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, and we felt like we wanted to take a lot of the skills that we've learned sort of in, in finance and see if we could apply them in sort of real operating businesses and, and out in the world. So uh, we had an idea of, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, can we potentially buy a small business just sort of on the side of our current jobs and just as something a little bit different. Right. Um, and as we sort of dug more into that and as an idea, uh, we became sort of more enthusiastic about it. And, uh, you know, that, that led to officially starting Chenmark. So that, that's an amazing story and we will uh, go deeper, but yeah, the first question that's why small business acquisitions, right? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I think we, um, we kind of heard about it first uh, through a couple of different lenses. Um, uh, my brother-in-law Palmer had actually sort of been working with a small business and he saw some things that were a little bit inefficient and said, you know, kind of had some more hands-on, you know, experience of saying, you know, Hey, some of these small businesses could really be run, you know, a, a little bit, you know, a, a little bit more efficiently. Um, and then we also, um, you know, kind of, it was right at the time when interest rates went like right to zero and everybody was trying to figure out kind of like, well, how, how do you exist in a zero interest rate world? Um, and I remember my right. husband and I both read the same newsletter and was talking about how things like car washes and laundromats and, um, you know, sort of mm -hmm. boring old businesses would be sort of increasingly attractive because they had really good uh, yields. Um, and right. so there was sort of a lot of different things that kind of sparked our interest. Um, so we started thinking, you know, how do you, how do you buy a small business and what's that all about? Um, mm -hmm. And we were fortunate um, that I went to business school and there were some uh, sort of classes on sort of more traditional kind of what's called search funds or entrepreneurship through acquisition right. about, um, you know, sort of buying smaller businesses. Um, and I didn't take any of those classes when I was there, <laughs> but I did have um, friends who had taken them and sort of was able to connect back into the community. And, you know, the more that we sort of dug into it, we said, hey, you know, there's, there's a big opportunity in terms of, um, you know, uh, in the U.S. and Canada, at least, and I think in a lot of other countries as well, um, the business owners have aging demographics. Mm -hmm. um, there's a ton of small businesses that are sort of at a size where they're a sort of they're too small for traditional private equity to care about. Um, right. But they're real businesses, and they've been around for a long time, and they're sort of too big to sell to your cousin, you know, um, right. and so they didn't necessarily have a ton of um, opportunities for exit, and but they were perfectly good businesses. And so we said, hey, we think that there's sort of an opportunity here in a market that's quite large, very fragmented, um, very, very inefficient um, for us to potentially, you know, buy additional, you know, sort of 
get involved in the space and build a portfolio of, um, of cash flowing businesses. So that's sort of how it kind of came to be. And, and I think on a personal level, we just like the idea of working with sort of existing small businesses and helping nice. um, an owner uh, looking to retire and uh, just sort of thought that would be sort of personally fulfilling as well. So it was sort of twofold. One was the market opportunity um, to build something that we think is, we thought and still think, you know, is, is an attractive one um, as well as the fact that it just, it sounded like a, a fun thing to do. Right. So we know that nowadays entrepreneurship for acquisition is becoming uh, more and more popular. But if we go back to, and it well, you started in 2013, but then you became full-time in 2015, right, uh, Trish? And yeah. By the way, it seems uh, according to your LinkedIn, almost congratulations. You are turning 10 with, with Shenmark, almost. right? Yeah, almost. <laughs> Time flies. But it was really sort of 2013, 2014 was the idea sort of percolated. Okay. It was mid 2014 where we said, you know, we're going to do this. Um, okay. And it was 2015 when we bought our first company. So it wasn't one of these things where, uh, you know, we started off with having some sort of big right. presentation on, you know, the market opportunity and what we're going to do and how we're going to be amazing. Um, it really started off more incrementally as sort of a little bit of an idea and we kind of dug a bit more and it, and it built upon itself. And so at first, even though we said, oh, let's buy a small business, it was let's buy one that's you know close to where we're currently living. We were in Connecticut at the time. So let's buy something close to Connecticut. Maybe one of us will quit our jobs and focus on running it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, as we sort of were looking more and more, we started looking more broadly. We started looking at different types of businesses and you know, eventually it was, you know, all three of us are going to do this. And uh, yeah, so it was, it, it was a very incremental in, in our approach to, to starting it. So today you are based in Portland, uh, Maine. So which means that you moved to the, to the West Coast with the first acquisition or it, it was because of other personal reasons? Uh, uh, well, Portland, you... Maine is still on the East Coast. So we're, uh, there's two Portlands. Uh, yeah. yeah, no worries. <laughs> European, <laughs> European yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Sorry about okay. that. <laughs> it, it's happened a lot. Um, so we moved up. Um, we're about two Even hours. When we were Boston. trying to figure this out, I was always putting you the time in Pacific <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, no. Now I thought that you were just, you know, having your no. first slot in the morning. Yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> midday. <laughs> um, it actually, yeah, this this is a this is a common problem, especially since we are the much smaller Portland. Um, but I guess so. Our our first business was based uh, up here, um, and mm -hmm. so. Once it seemed likely that that was going to happen, uh, we moved up here and it was, the, the deal wasn't signed. It could have still fallen through, but we sort of said, you know, at the time, especially this area had much lower cost of living and it seemed like a good place to sort of set up. If, if that original deal fell through, maybe we could just do a search from here because there was nothing really tying us to Connecticut. It was just a job. Um, right. So, yeah, we moved up there um, and just haven't moved, haven't moved since. Yeah, right. And and I was just making the point, kind of going back ten years or eight years with your uh, first acquisition. Uh, that at the time tech was exploding, right? So uh, nowadays people are, especially people coming from tech, are getting more and more interested. As you know, Scalable Valley uh, has been recording three hundred plus episodes on how to scale a tech business. And uh, we are covering new ways of entrepreneurship. We just had uh, Robert Graham from SIG and, uh, and Pillar Elf Group on the show. So the listeners have some education now about uh, you know, the traditional uh, model, the self-funded model. Um, and, uh, and we know that the Shenmark's model is a, a little bit different. And I found it super interesting. And you've been also uh, being able to share your story and, and speak in, in multiple podcasts. And, and you do it uh, in a very excellent way with an excellent newsletter as well. I fully, uh, strongly recommend it. Thank uh, you. But uh, yeah, that's why I was making kind of insisting on the follow-up. So 
do you guys felt at the time that it was too much noise in tech or it was just your personal interest you wanted to kind of play a more contrarian approach being loyal to your um to your inner voice let's say just trying to understand your mindset at the time to say well let's buy a business and of course you explained some of the reasons why but you know at that time sometimes we, we think okay let's let's go with a crowd if everyone is going mm -hmm. with tech uh, why not go with tech yeah i think um a couple things you know first of all it just the sort of go-go world of Silicon Valley and fundraising and all this stuff just never resonated with us. Um, you know, clearly a lot of people have done very, very well, you know, doing that. Um, so uh, that's not to say that I think poorly of it. It's just, it's just, there's something about it that just has never really made sense to us and we couldn't get our heads around. So, um, could sort of hard to hard hard to want to do that um i also um know a lot of people who went to work in sort of startups in silicon valley and like they're incredibly smart hard-working people who are like hyper competitive and you know i'm not i don't i wouldn't necessarily pick to compete with those people if i wanted to start something new um and then finally, you know, we kind of came at this from more of a markets perspective where um, cash flow is sort of is king. Right. And so we were always if we, we thought, OK, um, I remember one of my first bosses explained to me sort of there, there's two ways that the value of a company can go up. It can either grow its earnings or it can grow mm -hmm. its multiple. So th those are right. those are the two ways. And. Right he has said, you know, you know, a, a company can usually it has control over its earnings, right? So like the company can do stuff in their day-to-day -day strategic decisions and operations and all those sorts of things that can have an impact on earnings, right? But the company usually has no control over multiples. And so a company could make $1 and, and, and the world could view that as worth one dollar four dollars or a million dollars for you know and um i remember that kind of like explanation always sticking with me and feeling like if i ever you know if we ever want to do something it just it felt easier to focus on something where we didn't have to really rely on what the market thought of our business but we could just rely a little bit more on like how we are operating and if we could buy cash flowing companies and have them continue to generate cash and use that cash to buy other companies, which is sort of a key component of our business, um, then we thought that would be a pretty cool thing to own over the long term, kind of regardless of market cycles. And so that was always interesting to us. I think we're pretty, we're, we're students of, of, of history and, and sort of love here, learning about all the different cycles and how people have made money, how people have lost money and all that sort of stuff. And for whatever reason, that sort of focus on cash flow right. um, was you sort of ahead of growth, I'd say. Right. Always just made more sense to us um, and just, I think, fit more with our, our personalities. Right. I, I love the idea behind kind of the, the typical thesis of acquisition entrepreneurship, which is uh, completely opposite to Silicon Valley, that you need to reinvent the wheel and to create the business model and to surf the new trend and, and pray to be on, on the right timing there. Uh, this is kind of, we are looking for a business that does, doesn't need us, right? So it will be successful with or without us. And uh, of course we can influence and accelerate a bit the success and make it even more successful, but it's, it's kind of a business that will have success even if we are great leaders or if we are not so great leaders, uh, it, it will have almost the same result. Of course, I'm I'm oversimplifying with this statement, but I think we get- yeah, I would argue that, that the, the operator <laughs> makes a pretty big difference uh, in, in the small business world, but it is, you know, I'd say we think about it in terms of the, the durability of demand. So like, if you look at our businesses, that's the first thing we dig into is, okay, you know, I, we have some landscaping businesses. Like, do we think people are still going to want landscaping? You know, right. through you know, are people going to mow their lawns themselves? Probably not. 
um, it for certain types of people or companies or whatever. And so are they, and are they going to want their yards to look beautiful? Probably. Um, and so we think about is, okay, like, is this demand going to be here? And then like, how do you build a company around that, you know, sort of the ability to service that demand? So when, when I talked to, it's happened a little bit less late, lately with sort of changes in, in market dynamics, but for a while I sort of explained Chenmark as if you think about sort of mm-hmm. stereotypical Silicon Valley startup stuff mm-hmm. and you just do the exact opposite, like that is what we are doing. Um, <laughs> that is to me the best way to explain our approach. Uh, low multiples, not a lot of uh, very modest organic growth opportunities, um, slow incremental approach to building the business, focus on free cash flow, um, just all those things um, is pretty much what we do. And kind of growing 10 to 20% is uh, more than enough, right? So, and that so would be a lot for us. A for, lot. Right? That would be a lot, yeah. So you would say kind of five to 10 uh, would be the ideal or even just increasing profit and, and free cash flow and uh, kind of plateauing in terms of, uh, of revenue? Yeah, when we model it out, we usually just, the deal has to make sense of us if the company basically just stays steady where it is and has like yeah. GDP level growth. So that's not even 5%, that's like right. 3%, you know? So, right. so that's usually our base case assumptions. Even if the company has been growing a lot in the past, mm-hmm. for us to do a deal, it has to kind of make sense if it just kind of continues to kind of do what it's doing and experience some incremental growth. and. Even margins might compress a little bit, but kind of it stays steady. Now, that's underwriting. That's not reality. And so, in reality, um, you know, some of our companies have grown a lot faster than that because they've had opportunities to um, capitalize on it. But when we think to, hey, like, you know, what does success look like for us? Right. Success does not have to include high levels of growth as long as things mm-hmm. kind of keep chugging along um then that that is still a very good outcome for us from a financial perspective so it's really about uh, predictability uh, stability uh, sustainability being able to have long-term success uh, instead of uh, high short-term success and maybe it might die uh, in in two or three years right so because you are also not leading it in a way of trying to exit the the business you want to uh, have more and more companies coming to to your portfolio right and being right and that kind of goes you know the very key component of our strategy is we're looking to be long-term owners and so we don't spend any time thinking about selling our businesses and so were and you make I think different decisions if you're saying hey you know I'm going to have to live with these decisions 10 years from now so if I you know if my company does really well next year but I've gutted a bunch of whatever product development or customer relationships or you know and that's going to come back to bite me in two or three years then I'm not going to do that and I'd prefer to have sort of steady growth um, or even sometimes a, you know, declining performance because we're doing the right things mm-hmm. um, so that we can have a better business for the long term. And I think that we're very lucky because we don't have um, external investors who want us, you know, who are looking to realize um, a gain on their investment through an exit. And so we don't have um any of those external pressures that um, take away from just focusing on trying to every day run our businesses as well as we can for the long term. And that's really all we're trying to do. Right. So in 2013, 2014, we've been kind of searching, reflecting, maturing the idea. 2015, you make the the first acquisition. Where are you today, Trish? Uh, Yeah, it's been a a busy (laughs) eight-ish years later. So we now um, have uh, 10 sort of what we call platform companies. Um, We've done, I don't know, we don't keep track, but 30 to 40 acquisitions total probably because some of our companies do a lot of acquisitions themselves. 
Um, and so, and, and that's how they've grown. Um, so we've had a lot more experience doing deals uh, than we did when we started when we had zero experience. <laughs> uh, so we've seen, I will say that in our world, at least every deal is different. Um, we've learned that there's always something that happens. Um, so we've, we, we've certainly have had um, a lot of experience there um, and uh, 10 different businesses all being run by different CEOs in different geographies. So we have two businesses in Western Canada um, and one down in Florida and one in Tennessee and New York and Massachusetts, New Hampshire. So we're kind of all over the place right. geographically. And we have a wide sort of um, smattering of different industries that we're in. Um, so I mentioned landscaping, we have nice. some tourism businesses, food manufacturing, um, uh, we're, in, we're in the paint business, um, you know, sort of all, all sorts of different industries. And, and the, the common- Cleaning as well. Uh, trying to cover HVAC, no, covering the, 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 the no traditional cleaning. We, uh, sectors. We, we look at it, you know, um, <laughs> but the, 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 core ten, the core theme is all owners who are looking to retire yeah. Um, all businesses have, that have been around for a long time with a history of, you know, strong cash flow, um, and businesses that we feel, you know, will continue to be around for a long time. You know, of course, you know, there are technological advances in every industry, you know, no matter where you are. And so our kind of goal is always, Hey, you know, there will probably still always be demand for landscaping and how do we just make sure that our companies are positioned to take advantage of whatever sort of advancements come, you know, right. come our way. Uh, so that's pretty much it. So it, the, the, the company has certainly evolved um, a lot. Yeah. And um, as sort of, I mentioned, I think briefly earlier, a, a key component of our model is to use the cash flows that are generated by the businesses to fund right. the equity checks for the next business. And so we sort of, when we think about the growth of Chenmark um, or the model, I mean, it, in our heads kind of, it always goes to sort of the traditional graph of like compound interest where, you know, the amount of cash you get from one company is, is so much, but then, you scrape it together to get two, and then that's better than one, and three is better than two, and sort of it it builds over time. And so, I think we still very much feel like we're in the maybe like the second inning or like the second like we still feel like we're very early on in what we're trying to do with Chenmark. Um, but uh, it's cool to see it start to actually yeah. work, um, which it feels like it has in the in the past couple of years. And and kind of going back and thinking about the expectations that you had at the time, from an external point of view, it, it, it seems a lot what you guys were able to do, right? So 10 platform companies, 30 to 40 acquisitions, and being able just to fund that, that growth with the cash flow of the- uh, And two current... kids, so I feel like that's- And, in and two kids, it's, <laughs> yes, that's a very important component as well in the equation. Yeah. Uh, is it- much beyond what you guys have dreamed when you when you started or would you say that you had very bold ambitions when when you started and uh, you were planning something like this <laughs> you know it's funny because um you know probably most ceos are like this i think they are anyways that you know we feel like we could have done better mm -hmm. um uh, uh, yeah and so like we, we feel like yeah cool like we've done this but we feel like hey like we left a lot on the table um through just dumb decisions that we made about and and, and not just inexperience right like we when we started That's as i mentioned yeah. yeah like we we had made we had no experience doing deals we had no experience like none of us had ever managed a single person you know, like we had, we had no, we'd never been on a board of a company, you know, we, we had no experience. Um, and so we, we learned a lot, but we definitely made, you know, a ton of mistakes. And so I think we feel like, Hey, like it could have been better. Um, and so it's also like, we are usually very focused on, you know, all of the problems that sort of, sort of what land on our desk is when there are issues um so 
our lens tends to be mostly focused on, you know, fixing things, uh, which it should be. And then um, it also feels like uh, we, like we, we tend to look at just kind of being incremental with our approach to things. And so, you know, I don't actually look at like the consolidated financials like all that often. Um, mm -hmm. Just, and when I do, and when we do, we're like, oh, like, cool. Like, that's nice. That's a nice size. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, but then we kind of go back to like, the reason that's nice is because everybody's doing the right thing on a day-to-day -day basis and, and we're taking care of, you know, operations, um, in a long-term sustainable way. And, and then those things can kind of come together to create a result. And so it's honestly not something that we fixate on that much. We fixate a bit more on, okay, you know, how do we make sure the next deal goes right? Or how do we make sure the next hire is the right one? And we're much more sort of focused on, as I've kind of said, just trying to do like the, the, the little things right every day um, with the belief that um, we're kind of big belief, like believers that like process matters more than outcomes. So if we just try to do the things right every day, then like that'll generate the results we want. And like, as we say internally, cause we're big, like sports people, like the scoreboard takes care of itself if you're doing the right things. Right. So we were talking typically the model and, and please educate me because I'm still learning a lot about mm -hmm. this, uh, this area that we kind of have the, the traditional uh, route. So we, we just raise uh, capital to be able to go through a paid search of, of uh, 24 months typically. And, and then we acquire or don't acquire if we are not able to, to find the business. Then we have kind of the self-funded where the searcher funds uh, his own search and, and then we'll raise capital uh, from investors. We also discussed kind of the SBA loan that we have in, in the US that is not available, for instance, in, in Europe. Um, you decided to go in kind of a different way, kind of the dream of every searcher nowadays, which is to create a old call model. Um, could you explain a little bit more what was kind of the direction in that puzzle, especially for the ones in the audience that are still learning uh, about entrepreneurship for acquisition? Sure. So I think we definitely did the hold co model mostly because we hadn't been educated about all the like quote unquote right ways to do a search it uh, is better. It's like, it's yeah kind of confused about should i go left or right or it, it <laughs> just is, created uh, our own model right <laughs> yeah it was just kind of what we came up with and again we kind of came up with it as more of hey if you owned a bunch of different companies that were uncorrelated and they had cash flows like that would be a good thing to own so yeah. we came at it much more from like an asset management perspective, in which case like you want more than one. And then we layered that onto small business as opposed to starting from like the ETA search lens, which is very single company focused. Um, so that's just, I, I think that's just a, a, it's a byproduct of where we started. Mm -hmm. um, and that just sounded interesting to us. And so we'd already kind of like, I don't know, like sort of committed to that idea in our head. And then when we started talking to people after the fact, you know, at the time, pretty much nobody was a supporter of that as an idea. I think since there have been some people who have, who have done similar things and kind of, you know, proven out that this can happen. But, you know, most people said, you know, sort of, well, just, you know, just start with a single search and just do that and don't focus on other companies and it's too much. I remember one guy said, you know, um, you know, it's like having, like having one kid is like very different from having like eight kids and, you know, like portfolio companies are like kids and, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're getting yourself into and, and all those sorts of things. And it's not that any of them, most of the, the negative feedback and pushback we got, the points they were making, I mean, they were all right in terms of, the things that they talked about, like that is true. Um, but we just figured that we could figure it out. Like that it wasn't, um, it wasn't a, enough of a problem to, um, to warrant not doing it, even though all of the things they said, like they, they were still problems. They just didn't kill us. Right. So, and, uh, and, uh, 
how do you see kind of the and I don't want to jump into the into the future of 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 Shenmark, but uh, yeah. would would you kind of see the evolution of this old co model kind of having 20, 30 companies in the next 20 to uh, 30 years and and keeping growing and growing and accumulating more cash flow to be able to fund and of course at a certain size then maybe you'll be able to speed up and you are already seeing it, right? Because you have multiple companies generating uh, cash flow so you can maybe speed up mm -hmm. the process of acquiring new companies. Then in the beginning, maybe you needed to go uh, slowly, right? Or slowly. Yeah. I mean, it's basic, just it's just compounding. Compound. Um, you explain it. So, you know, I think now we started off and maybe if you could buy one company a year, like that was good. And, you know, yeah. now we're at a stage where I mean, it kind of depends on the size of the company and structure and all that sort of stuff. But, nice. you know, this year we can probably buy three. And if we do that, then, nice. you know, the next year, the year after that, maybe you can buy four and you kind of build yeah. from there. But I, I actually think for us, at least, um, doing it this way has allowed us to uh, spend more time thinking about the systems and processes that we need to have three more companies right. or five more companies or those sorts of things. And, and in the early days, and, and I, I think some people who have pursued um, a holding company structure, you know, have, have raised um, a lot of external capital up front, which is like, you know, good for them. Who doesn't want, you know, $30 million to deploy. Um, and, and we certainly talked about that a lot, you know, in the earlier days. Um, but I think that, especially for us, as I mentioned, no experience, having, um, having to actually sort of like be incremental in our building the business for us has been a really value added positive thing because I look back now and said, if, you know, if in year two, we'd had a lot of money to deploy, I don't think we would have done it as well as we could now because we didn't necessarily have the infrastructure as, and, and more importantly, the culture to, to govern and manage it properly. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, I, I think we're going to just keep doing what we're doing and we still see a lot of opportunity in the space. And so free cash flow goes towards either grow, investing in the businesses we have or buying new ones. And so when you kind of the, the mistakes are cheaper when the the boat is smaller uh, than, yeah. you know, just starting to make mistakes with a lot of money, uh, it becomes much more painful, right? So then you can learn a lot early on and, mm -hmm. and start replicating or applying the lessons learned uh, as you keep moving forward. Absolutely. So, Let's go to the to the first uh, acquisition. So at the time, it was kind of a local acquisition uh, close to where you were living, or uh, when was also the timing to kind of start moving abroad? I know that I'm asking multiple questions, but yeah, I'm yeah. Super yeah. yeah, I think so we too, right? <laughs> we found the deal through a broker, um, and we met the broker um, on a different deal, and it was landscaping. Um, and snow removal somewhere else entirely. But we we learned a little bit about the business through that process. It didn't work out. And then a couple months later, that same broker reached out to us and said, hey, you know, I've got this other company that's a commercial landscape snow removal business um, in Maine, and it might be a good fit for you. Um, and so uh, we you know, got some information and, and it seemed interesting. Um, and it ended up leading to an acquisition. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, I, I would say that landscaping in general is more complicated than it seems from the outside looking in. There's a lot of different moving pieces. Mm -hmm. And I think to run a good business in the space, you have to be pretty, I'd say like operationally well run. Um, right. and, uh, so yeah, we, uh, that closed in September of 2015. Um, and then I guess we were off to the races. And to, just to have an idea, whatever you can, uh, disclose. So what was kind of the size of, of the, this was the first platform company, uh, yep. or it was a smaller one that then, uh, was incorporated in a platform company. Yeah, yeah it had. 
it's funny you kind of I think it was one three of EBITDA when we bought it um and we didn't have to take out any seller we sorry um bank debt because we had a large very large seller note um so that kind of made the process a little easier for us um and it had a little probably sort of 15 to 20 percent EBITDA margins Mm -hmm. um and so like you know that's a good for a search an individual search that's a good deal um you know for us you know we had somebody yeah we had other we had three partners and we had somebody else running the business so you know we searched while um we we searched while we were still working but i kind of still think about the first year or two of actually owning businesses as almost like our self-funded search because there's just not that much extra cash to go around if you're you know we we in in that situation we had the founders stay on for a period of time so they were still running the business you know we still had all the financial obligations we're trying to save money for the next acquisition all those sorts of things so i think in uh, i think a lot of people now are very um interested in in the holding company model um i think to at least do it the way that we did it um Mm -hmm. the 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 early years are are very lean um from a from a cash as well as just bandwidth perspective um so it's uh it's not necessarily the most glamorous thing i mean it's not that glamorous now it's not glamorous at all now but it was decidedly less glamorous uh, in the at, early days. At least now you are able to pay you uh, well. And at the time it was not possible and it took some years, I, I imagine, to be able to get to that state. Uh, but at the same time, that, that's the pros and cons, right? So it's it's amazing to have another two partners and uh, one person uh, helping in op- uh, operational side of the business. Uh, but at the same time, uh, a lot of people you need, you need to, to do sacrifices in, in the beginning, like in in any company that's that we start right yeah exactly exactly makes makes a lot of sense and um so you, you were saying in the way you you find you you were able to finance the deal or fund the deal so uh, did you raise any external capital or just a small chunk it was all through seller notes uh or did you guys consider to use uh, the sba loan it is what was not possible given the old school model that you wanted to build kind of educate um, us here. Well, I'd say, so, so a couple of different things. First of all, um, when we started, I wouldn't even say that we like were using the language Holdco model. I think it was more just sort of, we're going to buy some company. Let's you buy know. the first company, right? Yeah. So, and then we will figure out. <laughs> yeah. So we always wanted to buy more companies, but it, it kind of started off. Well, like, yeah. I guess we'll just start by buying one. Um, and kind of see what happens and so or let's buy three or five companies we are free maybe uh we, i will manage one you will manage other one and uh, yeah it was, we have at least three ceos here in the in the partner yeah uh, <laughs> the partnership and uh and i think it was a it was pretty loosely defined um and then uh the first deal we had um essentially some of our own capital and friends and family, small group of friends and family. Honestly, we did talk to some professional investors, but nobody was particularly interested in funding us um, because we had this kind of weird idea of a model. And we're also this weird founding group of husband, wife, brother-in-law, and to mention, you know, no experience. And so no track record, nothing. So it makes sense. um, A a family, old, old, uh, a family company, let's say at the time, yeah. uh, buying other family companies. So it was a, a good pitch. <laughs> it, it did work. I mean, it was a great pitch with the, the, the owners of the businesses with investors sort of less so. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, yeah, that's basically how we started. Um, so it hasn't, hasn't really changed much since then. Right. So it was mainly, uh, so the family and, uh, with, with some, friends and, and so on, kind of the, yep. the free Fs uh, yes. that, that we're talking in startups, right? Yeah. But yeah. So, and uh, of course, at, this, uh, at the point that you get to 10 platform companies, it is impossible to you guys to be in operations. So you need to be able to bring a pipeline of candidates to the business, a pipeline of CEOs to be able to acquire. I assume that you have kind of almost 10 CEOs, one per uh, platform company, or GMs, whatever you call them. 
what, what is the model nowadays as, as you add more and more acquisitions to, to Shenmark? Yeah, so a little while ago, um, probably three or four years ago, so uh, we had to part ways with one CEO. So Palmer actually stepped in to run that business. Um, and then I was running search or looking at new opportunities. And a one came up that was close to um, home. We had nobody to run it. Um, so I stepped in um, to run that business. That was in 2020. Um, and around that time, we were sort of like, you know, to your point, like, you know, yeah, we've got people to run, three of us can run some businesses, but like we can't grow. And so we were at a situation where we were turning away opportunities because we just didn't have um, anybody that, to run them. And it's not like you could just pick someone up off the street to run a small business. Like it's a, right. it's a very, I think, specific skill set as well as more so than a skill set, it's a type of person, it's a personality um, mm -hmm. as well as a culture fit for us. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a unique person, I think, who, who, who wants that, that role. And so we, uh, we, it sort of started a little bit um, ad hoc, but um, we, and I give, I give my husband James credit for really masterminding this, but developing a program that we call uh, the Generalist Vice President Program or GVP program, mm -hmm. um, where we bring people in who, they're often people who sort of know about search have I, they, maybe they went to business school, they heard about it there, or they kind of listen to a lot of podcasts or they kind of they, they hear about it somewhere. They think right. it's interesting and compelling, but they're not necessarily interested in doing it themselves um, for whatever reason. They kind of, even if they'd probably be perfectly successful at it, they sort of opt out um, for whatever reason. Um, and so they tend to, that that's usually the type of person who is is a good candidate for us. And so they come in and you know, we've sort of said that we're not going to do a new acquisition unless we have somebody from this program to run it. So we're not gonna hire external people. And it's very, very important to us that the people who are running the businesses are people that we know and, um, and trust um, because once we, run a business, I mean, it's pretty decentralized. So they're running the business and they're making all the decisions. And, right. you know, someone comes and wants a raise or, you know, they need to, you know, part ways with someone or go into a new market or whatever, you know, like they are in charge of making those decisions. And so mm -hmm. you have to have a foundation of trust, we think, to, 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 to give people the, the um, to empower people to make those decisions. And so, right. uh, yeah, people come in, they work in Maine for a period of time, then they go work in one of our operating businesses um, mm -hmm. to get some sort of hands-on operational experience. Um, and then when a new acquisition comes up, it's at a certain stage in the process, we basically send an email out to, to people who are eligible and say, you know, who's interested in, in running this company? Um, and then uh, we go from there. Um, so that's basically the program. It's been really wonderful um, for us. I think it's allowed us to bring a lot of really talented people on board, um, a lot of like-minded people. Um, and uh, I think, you know, without it, we wouldn't really be able to, to grow. So it's a big focus of ours is, you know, when, when we have a good pipeline of people that we feel could run, um, you know, the, the, the companies, then we feel more comfortable being a bit more aggressive about going after businesses right. to buy. Because um, for a while there, it was like, what's the point of searching? We don't have anybody to run the business. <laughs> yeah, it's just a waste I, of time. I can see that the pipeline of CEOs, the pipeline of leaders, as we always say, when we are scaling up a company, is really the bottleneck of growth. Uh, of, Absolutely. Of the business, yeah, so that was... You need to be able to identify and have a brand that you are doing that job as well, right? To, right. to be able to identify uh, acquisition targets. But at the same time, then you need, to, you need both. But it seems that you are... Uh, pretty strong in terms of the opportunities that you are able to find so then your bottleneck is much more who will lead uh, the new business yeah. right yeah so we're just trying to that's basically it and so i feel like since we kind of got that program up and i have to give the people who started when it was just mm -hmm. you know an idea um who, who joined us then you know a lot of kudos for for sort of seeing Amazing. um the, the vision um 
Uh, and so far, I mean, it's a big focus of ours and, and we've been really, I think, fortunate to be able to attract a, a really great group of people that we're, we're very excited to work with. And kind of uh, as you guys evolve it uh, from one to, uh, let's say, from the first company to the 10 portfolio companies, it's easier to say in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, did you guys have the idea that you would be the, the, the first CEO, so each of you would be leading a company or the four because you were three partners plus one person in the beginning? I think you're giving us more credit for thinking through that <laughs> than we had. Um, you know, at first, honestly, we hadn't really thought about it that much, which I mean, I think, I think that when you buy a small business, you have to be, you know that, hey, like, I might have this plan, but the backup plan is me running the business. Um, and, and that certainly has been the case for almost all the acquisitions that we've done. Um, and so we started, we started with that, but we didn't necessarily start with a, um, that well thought out of a talent management strategy, um, which again is probably why it's good that somebody didn't give us like a boatload of cash uh, in early days, because uh, we would have probably burn through a lot, a lot more money, <laughs> uh, <laughs> learning how to think more strategically about our talent management process and sort of all that sort of stuff. Kind of the, the free first acquisitions, or you were able to have one leading one company, or do you had a different split of responsibilities? I know that I like the way you put it's kind of search is another company or, uh, because mm -hmm. you need to have someone full, full time dedicated to identify new acquisition targets and maybe maybe at a certain time you it is it is not enough to have we are talking a bit about one partner with his team or her team uh leading the 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 search division let's say uh, mm -hmm. does it make sense the way i'm i'm thinking about it yeah i mean we kind of i would say actually we haven't done a great job with our um search function uh over time so and um and part of that is is because, you know, one is, you know, if we didn't feel like we had the people to, to run the companies, um, and two, um, if we just used a bunch of cash to buy one company, then you still have to wait a while before you have money to buy another company. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of a balancing act on sort of how full do you want the pipeline to be? Because if it's too full, you end up just having to walk away from things, um, like a lot of things. And so, that's sort of always a, a balancing act for, for us. And I think um, for, for the three of us, um, you know, it just kind of happened where, you know, we were all kind of just doing whatever came in and kind of grabbing things as they kind of mm -hmm. came our way. And then, um, you know, when this CEO opportunity came up, we thought, you know, thought that team like Palmer would be a really good fit for that. And he's done a, a wonderful job. Um, and so, it just sort of, honestly, that was the first time when we were like, oh, like, I guess we could, you know, we can do this and, and like, we can do it well. And I think his experience kind of informed my own sort of interest in being like, oh, you know, it would be, it would be fun to have that experience of, of being sort of in charge of operations. And I think that both of our experiences have been really good for, for the company overall, because it's, um, you know, it allows us to sort of have that operator perspective, which I think is different than, you know, purely investment um, focused. And I think it's, it's made us overall a stronger group. Right. I love it. Kind of, I, I can already see that the the pipeline of acquisition targets and the pipeline of, of CEOs are two very important variables to, to track and to monitor and to get a lot of, a lot of attention to. So I, I like it the way you, uh, worded it or expressed it and uh, let's go to the last let's say uh, topic before we we go to the to the last segment of the show uh, yep. which is what about the future uh trish yeah. i think we we introduced uh this one earlier in in the conversation uh but what would be your big for or your big area audacious goal for yeah for I mean, I say I kind of split the answer into two things. Is one, as I said, like we're pretty incrementalist in our focus. So, like, just keep we're you know we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, but at larger and larger volume. So, um, 
I think that for me, you know, a, a big goal, there's not necessarily a number of companies or a revenue size or anything, but it's kind of allowing that compounding math to work out while also maintaining, I think, the, the, the culture that we have now, which I think um, it is pretty cool um, in terms of the level of, you know, ownership and um, uh, that people have um, for, for the outcomes. Um, so basically, I know that's super squishy, but it's basically keep doing what we're doing. Don't get, you know, don't try to get too cute. Um, keep buying companies with internally generated cash flows and keep trying to operate, you know, find great people to come work for us and the rest will kind of take care of itself. Yeah. As a scale-up lover, I, I, I love it because that's one of my ingredients to scale-up success, which is uh, radical focus, right? Back to the basics. Uh, don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, don't create more complexity. Just do well what you already do. And my second ingredient, it's all about the team, having the right people on the right seats. That's that's your pipeline, your CEO academy, your uh, pipeline of ten talents. And, and the third one is the execution machine, what you were talking about, the ops, yeah. ensuring that you have a framework that, that you can share uh, across the, the companies, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's cool to see that it also applies to uh, holding company. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I, it's interesting because I don't think the playbook is like, you know, there's a lot of information out there. It's not secret. I think it's just about having the mindset or the help or whatever right. to actually, to actually do it. You know, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. think that that's really the the point, and, and especially sometimes I feel and I love what you said in the beginning is you start educating yourself too much about it that you kind of lose the courage instead of just starting and doing yeah. the first step and the second step and the third step and you you fell and you 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 stand up and you, you go again uh, but when you start kind of overthinking and uh, and what what if what if what if what if then you are blocked and you, and, and you don't move forward and uh, yeah and, and and the years keep going so absolutely absolutely so they keep counting let, let's say in other words so let's go to the to the last segment of the show to be uh, respectful of your time trish yeah. and uh, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, at the beginning of this adventure uh, mm -hmm. what advice would you offer to your younger self um i would have said that um like early on and you've heard this from so many people but if you feel like something's not going right with a person or like the first time you think that maybe you should like fire somebody like that should probably be when you do it I think that especially in our early days we we knew some people just weren't the right fit for the team and we just tried to work around it or make excuses for it and a lot of that stuff and so I think that the advice would be sort of to 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 trust your your gut with personnel issues and sort of to not avoid making the hard decisions that like you're eventually know you're going to have to make anyways. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I think it's, it's really cool. Um, when I get to work with people, um, and be able to provide opportunity for them that that they wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise. Um, so, um, you know, for a lot of people in our operating businesses, um, they didn't necessarily have the most, you know, they had they had good jobs, but they didn't necessarily have the level of sort of career trajectory or compensation levels that, like, I would argue they probably should have based on their skill sets. Because um, maybe the previous owners didn't necessarily see it the same way that we have. And so for me, the coolest thing is when you're able to sort of identify some talent that's in a business and, and give them the opportunity to step up and, and um, wow. sort of uh, see the sort of cool results that can come from that. I think that, I think that's the coolest thing by far. Quite amazing. Yeah. Worst advice ever received? Um, I was thinking about this. I mean, I tend to ignore most advice for good <laughs> or, or worse. That's this is not, <laughs> yeah, um, this is not, um, I was actually, I was looking at this question. This is not business advice, but I remember 
it was sort of halfway through and um and I fell I really hurt my back like I don't know if you ever hurt your back but like one of those like it's hard to get out of bed in the morning and like everything hurts and it lasted for a while um I was like pretty uncomfortable and I went to this um physical therapist who was helped you know doing whatever and he just was telling me he's like well like you know, you're getting really old. So you're just going to have to like dial back, like the intensity of your exercise. And you're just not gonna be able to do these things anymore and all this sort of stuff. And that was awful advice. I like never went to him again. I found another person who was, had a much better mindset. And I think, and he basically was just like, yeah, you hurt your back, but honestly, if you're really stressed out, he just gave me these like breathing exercises to do. And within like a couple of weeks, my back was fine. Um, and, uh, I think that um, like that was a good, a very good reminder to me that like a lot of people ha- like, like that your, your attitude can really shape your reality. Yeah. And like, if I'd listened to that one, like quote unquote expert, you know, about yeah. like what I can and can't do, like I would have limited myself. So you have to surround yourself with the right team, you know, and the right people who believe and um, be open-minded to different things. Cause I remember the first time he had me do these breathing exercises, I was like, what? are we doing this is super weird um but then after i was like oh i feel really good um so i think i mean i think that i there are elements of that that you can bring back to culture and personnel management just again making sure you got the right people on the team that um have a positive attitude and um can i you know acknowledge there's a problem but also have an attitude that we can fix it and um i think that just goes a really long ways especially in our world it's very consistent kind of back to basics that's what i yes. i hear you screaming <laughs> so, yes yeah we don't have to do anything really exciting yeah. you don't need to do a super in uh, complex form or again reinvent no. the wheel <laughs> exactly just do what exactly. you need to do and you will see that it will improve love it and now the resources your favorite mm-hmm. book and this can be business or non-business as you wish so i love reading so this is a hard one the one i i I don't know if this is my favorite book, but it's the one, one that I, yeah. I think about the most often. I read this years and years ago. Um, my boss gave it to me. It was called the Psychology of Intelligence Analysis, Analysis which is it's super dry. Mm-hmm. But apparently, at least back in the day, it was sort of reading for um, like CIA, like intelligence, wow. you know, analysts. And um there's just a lot of really interesting stuff in there about how to how to read people, how to interpret different things that people say, and um, I just remember reading it. it had a really it for what it had a really big impact on me and sort of how I I can still see things that people do that like are are examples like directly out of the book. So I, I it, that one I read when I was probably 21 years old, and I still think about it. What a great addition to the list. I'm curious now. Right, there you go. It's it's quite dry. It's not a beach read, but it's got good stuff in it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and your favorite movie or series? Rich? Uh, the, uh, this is uh, The Family Man with Nicolas Cage. It's a Christmas movie. Ah, I love it. Or a it. holiday movie. If, if I'm thinking about the one, it is, <laughs> sometimes I confuse the names, but... Yeah, yeah, I, I, we watch it every Christmas. I think it's a great, um, I think it's a great reminder of values and keeping a perspective on what's important. Love it. And finally, your favorite podcasts, excluding this one, to not put uh, yes, you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, hard. I mean, there are so many wonderful ones out there. Um, at the moment, I'm very into Hidden Brain, which I guess I'm, it's also a psychology podcast. Um, I wouldn't call myself a super into psychology, but it, but it, it takes a lot of concepts um, about how we think about things um, and uh, ties them to real life examples. And they, they, they do it in a very, I think they do it in a very well, a very good, um, like well-produced way. And so I, I enjoy, and I, I really learn something from, from every one of their their podcast so Another that's my current like the current one in my feed well then it seems that you kind of listened to uh, to the 300 episodes because you were able to add a new addition to <laughs> 
every single one of them. So. I try. You know what I try to do though is I try not to. Or did you use AI to? Kind of go no, through? I did it. I did it. I I I always feel like um, I try not to listen to the podcasts and read the books that everybody else is reading. So like sometimes oh, nice. I do, but I also feel like if everyone on my team here is listening to that podcast, like me listening to it, the same one, like isn't really adding anything. So I try to, to listen to different things so that I can nice. have a different perspective. So I'm always, I feel like reading and listening to very random, random things, but I think that it helps me think more broadly. Rich, it was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks so much for making the time. Congratulations for what you guys have been building and for being so generous with the community always. And uh, all the best for the future. And you are always invited to keep sharing updates and also covering uh, different topics on, on the show. So this is your Sounds own. good. Feel free to come Hope back. Hopefully it won't take us eight more, eight to nine more years to get to 20 companies. So there you go. <laughs> But thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And thanks for having me on. <laughs> Likewise. And uh, to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling. Thank you.